listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Our text for today is the text of the call to worship. It's that interesting passage from Revelation chapter 7 about this great multitude of people from every tribe and language and people and nation. And they're all standing there and they're worshiping God uh, dressed in white robes. I pointed over here at Stetson. He's working on his PhD on clothing and costumes in the book of Revelation. I should have him preach this sermon. Maybe you can give me a grade on it later. (laughs) So they're all there before the throne and they're worshiping God. That's what we do. We gather before the throne to worship God. Like there are a lot of reasons a community of faith might exist, right? Because we love each other. We enjoy being with each other. We like to see each other. We come to church. We come to church to fellowship, we come to church to learn, we come to church to what? Like, what do we come to? To get forgiveness? To, what, what are we coming for? Like, why does the church exist? Hey, Amen. Who said that? Man, Mary is right on the spot. We come to church to worship God. There might be other things we do. But that's the number one thing. Like if you're coming to church for some other purpose, for one of the side effects of church, that's great. But just so you know, the main point of coming to church is to worship God. In the Westminster Catechism, not that that exactly expresses my part of the faith tradition, but I did go to this Presbyterian college and I once memorized all 114 answers and questions to the Westminster Catechism. Not because I wanted to, but I needed the scholarship so I could go study in Israel for a little bit. (laughs) But I did. And the first question and answer of the catechism from Westminster is, what is the chief end or purpose of a human being? Like, what is a human being for? And the answer is to worship God and to enjoy God forever. Like, that's what we're for. And that's what this great multitude of people are doing. They're worshiping God. It says that they're clothed in robes of white. Which we'll get to that, we'll get to that just in a second. It also says that they're waving palm branches. Which of course might remind us of the Palm Sunday event. Now in that case, Jesus seems to be a little put off by the whole waving of the palm branch. Like, they're waving palm branches and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, and he's telling parables about how the king they expect is not the king they're getting. (laughs) He's like, whoa, put that down for a minute. And he's like crying over Jerusalem, and they're celebrating. And he's like, you're missing the point. And before the week's out, the crowds are, are, are saying, crucify him. So apparently, palm branch waving's not enough, (laughs) But yet here's a group waving a palm branch. It seems to maybe represent a a new group. And we'll, we'll talk more about what that new group is in just a minute. So one of the one of his guide, it seems like, in this vision, 
John's got this guide, and it's one of the 24 elders. And he asked him a question. He said, who are these? Who is this great multitude from every tribe and people and nation and language? And this is a little funny. John's like, well, I don't know. You, you would know. <laughs> like, why don't you tell me? And he says, these are they who have come out uh, or come through the great tribulation. These are those who struggled and struggled and were tormented and had a hard life. They experienced economic disaster. They experienced disease. They experienced war. They experienced the conquest of nations. They experienced hardship in life. That's, that's who they are. So who, who is this great people, this great multitude? Very quickly, I want to give you a lesson. Uh, previously, in John chapter 4 and 5, John, our revelator, has um, heard some things and seen some things. And I think it's very important to differentiate or pay attention to what he's hearing and what he's seeing. Because it's a way of kind of folding a couple of things together. So at one point, he sees the scroll of God, the word of the Lord that he's getting ready to receive so that he can deliver to the people. Except the scroll's all sealed shut. And so his response to that is tears. He just weeps and weeps and weeps. Like, oh no, I'm, I'm here and I'm, I'm not going to have anything to say. And, and uh, you know, I'm supposed to be the one who's speaking to the people. And, I've, you know, the, Lord's, the word of the Lord is shut to me. But then he, he hears, he's told that the Lion of Judah, the Root of Jesse, can come and open all those seals and open the scroll so John can read it. So he turns to look to see this great lion. Except what he sees is not a lion, but a lamb. We sang that earlier. Lion and lamb. Yeah. He sees a lamb, and the lamb has been slain, right? Its, its neck has been cut, yet it's standing up. It's a beautiful image, or if that's the right term. It's, it's a little gross, but it's a powerful image. Maybe that's the word I'm looking for. It's a powerful image for the resurrection. So in that lion of Judah and uh, slain lamb, these aren't two different characters in the story. This is... The Lion of Judah is Jesus, the Christ, the promised one. He descends, he is a Jew, right? He is a descendant of Judah. But he's not the militaristic um, overlord, empire builder, king, conqueror that perhaps they expected and maybe even wanted. Because he's not there to establish a nation for the Jews. He's there to establish the kingdom of God for all of creation. And so while he's heard of the Lion of Judah, what he sees is a lamb who has been slain for the salvation of the world. So the Lion of Judah is Jesus. And the Lamb of God is Jesus, right, there you go. That's, that's not supposed to be confusing. It's supposed to show us like 
the, the promise and expectation and then the fulfillment. So the fulfillment is more than what was expected. Like we thought we'd get a militaristic Jewish leader, and we in, he is Jewish, but we ended up getting a leader of the world, and it's not someone who is going to kill the enemy, it's someone who is willing to die for the enemy. We then fast forward, and when the book, we're in chapter 7, and it's the passage just before our primary passage for today, and it says... Um, there have been all these seals have been opening and all these judgments have been coming forth. And the, the sixth one of seven gets open and it seems like the end of the world. I mean, it's all the end of the world scenarios you've ever heard in your life. I mean, the sun's turning dark, the moon's turning to blood, the stars are falling from the sky, the earth is quaking, the generals are hiding in caves. I mean, boom, 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 you know. And a voice comes and says, who can stand the wrath of the Lamb? which the obvious answer is nobody. But you flip the page and you're in chapter seven and there's all these people standing. (laughs) Well, who are all these people? Well, there's 12,000 from each of the tribes of Israel. Well, that's amazing because they'd been utterly destroyed. At least 10 of them had. And this list is, this is more technical than I need to get into today, but this list is unlike any other list we've seen before. One, it starts with Judah and that's never happened. Two, it includes both Levi and Joseph, which that has never happened. It seems to be a reconfigured group. But I think what's most important for the attentive reader or hearer of of this book is that John hears about that numbered group in the same way that he had heard about the lion. And like that lion was of Judah, this first first 12,000 group is from Judah. Like that lion is strong and militaristic. In in the ancient world, there'd be only two reasons to count how many people you got. You know, a census. And one of them is for taxes. And I don't think this is, we're getting ready to have taxes. And the other, and this is super common, this is actually the most common reason we count people in the Old Testament, is to prepare for battle. It's, it's a military preparation. How many we got, how many they got. And so we got a lot. <laughs> you know, we got 12,000 fighters from each of the tribes. That's, that's a big group. Yeah? So it's like a line of Judah, root of Jesse, very Jewish, very militaristic, very particular. And that has to do, again, I think, with the expectation of how God would deliver. But much the same way that he has heard about the line of Judah, but he sees the lamb that was slain for the salvation of the world. He hears about this 144,000, but what he sees is a great multitude from every tribe and people and language and nation. So if it's from every tribe, does that include the 12 tribes we just named? Yes, very good. That's what every means. (laughs) It's not not a trick question. If it's from every tribe, it includes those 12 tribes. And now they're standing in white robes, ready to worship, right? But not because they themselves are martyrs. And not because they have gone out and killed the enemy. 
Because we're told that they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. It's Jesus' blood that had gotten on their robes. And instead of making those robes bloody, it made those robes white. This is the only way that we can, uh, the kingdom of God can be established on the earth. Not, not through economic power, not through militaristic power, not through political power, not through persuasion of academic or intellectual power, but by sacrifice. And not our own sacrifice. Like you can sacrifice yourself, but that won't do it. It was the sacrifice of the Lamb. The lamb that was slain for the salvation of the world. And these are they who have washed their robes and made them white in that lamb. And that has established who we are. This passage ends with one of the most uh, surprising um, uh, ironies, kind of oxymorons of scripture. I, I love these. I love these texts. Um, things like, uh, you know what an oxymoron is. So two words, they, they are opposites, but we use them to say one thing. Jumbo shrimp. Mm-hmm. Uh, plastic glasses. Uh, civil war. Nothing civil about war. Uh, Microsoft works. <laughs> one of my, also one of my favorites. Crucified Messiah, living sacrifice, and that the last one, the last verse of this passage says, and the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. The lamb will be the shepherd? The lamb will be the shepherd? That doesn't work. Like we get told that sheep are dumb, that sheep need to be led. And then we get told, we are sheep. (laughs) Hmm, I'm not sure I like that. But if that's not bad enough, we're a bunch of sheep, and our shepherd is a lamb. He's like a little sheep. (laughs) That's one of the greatest oxymorons, I think, of Scripture. Oh, that's just Debbie. I thought I was getting played off the stage there for a second. Oh, oh! praise the Lord. It's Mother's Day. You should take it. Hope she's doing well. Tell her I said hello. No, it's all right. Love Debbie's mom. There's another uh, passage about, there's lots of passage about um, the Lord is our shepherd. Of course, the famous one from Psalm 23. There's another one from John 10 uh, that I was going to read you today, but let me, let me hasten and just kind of summarize this point. There's a point there where Jesus says, I'm their shepherd and my sheep know my voice. In order to recognize a voice, either the voice has to be extraordinarily recognizable or you have to be really familiar with it. Right? <clears throat> so for the young people in the room, you're not going to be familiar with this phenomenon, but it used to be when the phone rang, you had to answer to see who it was. 
I know it seems strange. Like, like you didn't look to see who it was because of, you know, their face is looking at you, waiting for you to answer, or their number. You had to answer the phone to see who it was. And when you answered the phone, you would say hello, and they would say hello. And if it's somebody that you regularly talk to, you would immediately recognize their voice. That's just how it happens. I have a couple of voices I actually want you to listen to to see if you can recognize. Listen to this one. Who is your daddy and what does he do? Anybody? Arnold Schwarzenegger, yes. That was Arnold Schwarzenegger. Here's another. Look, I know what you're thinking and I don't blame you. I've always thrown out such a jazzy line. Oh, very good. Audrey Hepburn. Who got that one right? Excellent. Well done. Well done. Here's another. Yeah, who's that? Dorothy. Somebody said Dorothy. Yes, that's her character name. It's Judy Garland. It would be her, her human name. Um, yeah, but what's interesting about that is sometimes we don't just recognize people's voices based on the sound of their voice, but based on the words that they say. Like, we know how they normally talk. Like, sometimes I'll ask Angela something, not necessarily because I don't know, or even that I don't know what she'll say. It's a, it's a form of confirmation. Like, I know what she's going to say, but yet I'll still ask her because she's consistent, you know? And I, and I need... Huh, what's that? Okay, fair enough, Mike. <laughs> and, and smarter than me. But, but, but yeah, we recognize, you know, and sometimes I'll hear things like from my daughters, and I'm thinking, that's their mother talking. Right, because I hear the words. I know the words. You, you see where we're going here, right? I will, we'll, make, we'll, we'll draw a short line here in a second. Here's another. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. <laughs> Liam Neeson. Yeah, that's kind of scary. His particular skills are different than mine. He can, like, kill you with a spoon. Here's another. Come on. Go marching in. You can sing. Yeah, Louis Armstrong. Somebody shouted out pretty quick. He has a very identifiable voice, I think. Uh, I think this is the last one. Prison time is slow time. So you do what you can to keep going. Some fellas collect stamps. Others build matchstick houses. Andy built the library. Mm. Number one, I love Shawshank Redemption. And number two, that is Morgan Freeman, not God. <laughs> I know he plays the voice of God a lot on television. <laughs> but we recognize the voice. Look, the Lord is our shepherd. And our shepherd is a sheep. Our shepherd is one of us. Our shepherd came to us not from a distance, all due respect to Bette Midler. Man, the 1990s are just on me today. But God is not far away watching us. As Chris quoted Augustine earlier, God is closer to us than we are to ourselves. God is in the air we breathe. We sing that sometimes, right? God is the lion and the lamb. God is the one who loves and cares. God is the one who has come and is coming. 
God is the one who has always been here. God is the creator of the universe. God is the savior of our souls. God is the sustainer of life. And that's the one we are seeking to know and to love and to serve. And we can only do that through familiarity. We are called upon to follow. Come and follow me, Jesus says to his disciples. Taste and see that the Lord is good. So we serve Sundays, the meal. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.